I want to preach this morning on why I love the church. Now, I want to be quick, because I could spend a long time preaching on why I love the church, right? But I want to start with my testimony, and here's the reason I was saved into this church. Um, in 1986, what's that, 28 years ago, uh, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and He brought a lot of changes in my life since then. And the exciting thing about the church is that it's a living organism. I'm always impressed with the reality that the church is bigger than the people that are here. The church is certainly bigger than the preacher or the pastor, uh, but it's bigger than the people. It's more enduring. You know, God intends that LifeGate should continue on and that his blessing and his hand should be upon LifeGate long after all of us are gone, uh, if he should tarry. Because uh, what we've got here is something that was birthed by him. He said, I will build my church and because it's his church, it's something that is enduring and something that will go on. But anyway, Second uh, <clears throat> uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves... If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Verse 25, it says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you bless us today as we look to you and bless your word. And Lord, may it meet needs, may it touch hearts. And oh, Lord, may it be that we appreciate the beauty and the wonder of your church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The reason I read those verses is that those are my life verses, and it was through this church that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was raised here in Dublin, raised in Walkinstown, not far from here. Uh, went to a Catholic uh, Christian Brothers school. Um, <clears throat> all through my life, as far as I was concerned, I was a typical Irish uh, kid of my day. I thought the whole world was Roman Catholic. I thought everybody was Catholic. I thought that's just the way life was. And um, but I met my wife now. She was uh, raised differently, but when we were in our teen years, and but we discovered that we both had a hunger for God that was not satisfied. And so we began to search together, and we talked to all the cults and talked to everybody, but there was nothing that we could say, well, this is it. This is really uh, the, um, <clears throat> the way forward, the way to know God. And so after a time, we, uh, we, we, we gave up, effectively. We... <clears throat> Um, I started a business, we uh, got married, we bought a home, we, you know, we began to move on with the things of life and, and really kind of leave behind the, uh, the searching for God. But then we had children, and the whole thing changed for Val particularly, because she wanted to teach the children about God, and how could she teach them about God if she didn't know God herself? So all the searching started again, and I have to say that by this time, I was not actively seeking God. I was just doing the good family thing. It was a good thing uh, for my family to have a church to go to, so we would go and we would visit different churches and, and go through them. And it happened, <clears throat> to cut a long story short, that uh, we ended up here at LifeGate. And the reason we ended up here was because Val called with a, uh, a lot of questions, and the pastor's wife, uh, <coughs> Kathy Zemeski, answered all our questions with the Bible, not with what the church taught. Not impressed her. So we ended up here at LifeGate, and um, <clears throat> Val was saved very soon after, and of course she wanted me to get saved. And while I didn't mind being a good family man and doing the good family thing and going to church and everything else, so that was what was good for her, I wasn't sure I wanted to be that involved in the whole thing. <clears throat> and so the pastor came, Pastor Zemeski came to our home, 
every Tuesday night for several weeks. And what he did was he would show me from the Bible that I was a lost sinner on my way to hell. Now, remember, I thought I was a pretty good guy. And that really didn't go down so well. That didn't um, sit very well with me because, you know, I I knew there were wicked people out there that probably needed God, but I wasn't one of them. And, you know, I could not see it. So time after time, he would come and he would explain it to me. I think for four weeks he came. And in the final uh, week in desperation, he told me later, he left me some photocopied sheets, questions and answers about Christianity. And I remember going down through them after he had left and coming to uh, a section on the commandments, very simple. It would state the commandment and ask, had you ever broken it? And I would go down through it and it came to, <clears throat> it came to the shalt not bear false witness and the question was, have you ever told a lie? Well, I was a good guy, but nobody was that good. Of course I told lies. And I was in business, and as far as I was concerned, you had to tell lies from time to time uh, in business. And yet the Spirit of God didn't seem to think it was such a light thing because I couldn't get off it. The Spirit of God just wouldn't let me uh, put it away and walk on. And the Bible says that whosoever shall keep the whole of the law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty. And I found out that day that I was guilty. When I saw that I was guilty about lying, I realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was at all, that I wasn't as perfect as I thought I was, uh, that there were things that were definitely, obviously a problem with God. And for the first time in my life, I'd always known that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but for the first time in my life, it wasn't the world anymore. It was David O'Gorman. Jesus had died for the sins of David O'Gorman. And when I realized that Jesus had to die to pay the price of my sin, I understood, too, that if I rejected what God was offering through his son, then he would have every right to send me to hell. There was nothing else he could do for me. And I remember sitting there and working through what this was going to mean in my life and how this was going to change things and trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior that day, and my life changed completely. But here's the point I want to make this morning. My life didn't change in a vacuum. My life changed in the context of a church, of LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. Much of the understanding and the growing and the uh, learning I got, we were here for 18 months before we went to college, uh, came through a church. And, you know, we went to, to, to college in America for four and a half years, but this was always our church. This was always the place where we were connected with. And... The church is God's organization, but it's a people that come together for the purpose of serving him and seeking him and ministering to each other and encouraging each other. And the church, because it belongs to Jesus, is a powerful institution. And I thank God personally for LifeGate. I thank God personally for what he's done uh, in my life and in the life of my family. And as, as, as in yesterday and today, I've been looking back over the years and what God has done in the church. Listen, this is an exciting place to be. This is an exciting place to be, not just as pastor, but as a people. Because, not because of us, because we're not all that exciting. We're not that brilliant. We're not that wonderful. But because of him. Because he's involved in it, this is an exciting place to be. And I want to give you uh, today... Seven points, seven reasons why I love the church, right? First of all, I love the church because um, Christ loves the church. And you know what? Uh, 
If he loves it, then we need to love it. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And very often we go to Ephesians chapter 5 and we deal with the marriage from Ephesians chapter 5. But do you understand uh, that the reality of what God is saying to us in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's showing us how he loves us, how he loves the church, how he loves us as a people. In Matthew 16.18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when Jesus says, I will build my church, he makes it personal to him. Do you realize realize today that Jesus Christ personally owns LifeGate Bible Baptist Church? You know, listen, uh, we may have trustees and their names may be on the title deeds of the building, but you know what? It's not ours. It belongs to Jesus. Everything that we have here belongs to Jesus because it's his church. You as a people belong to Jesus. You say, well, how is that? Listen, he bought you. Um, He gave himself for you. Uh, He actually bought the church so that you're not only his because he created you, you're, you're his because he bought you. And he loves you. He, and he loves you with a passion that, can, uh, that, 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 that we can't understand very readily. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. But he's the head of the church. You know, it's easy for us to come and we see the people and we see the pastor and we see the ushers and we see the uh, different uh, you know, people that are here. But you know what? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that's leading it. He's the one that's in control of it. And when we let him have control of it and go his way and do his uh, do what he wants, not what we want, we end up seeing the church as being a very exciting place. Because the only organization in the world that Jesus is the head of is the church. There's no other organization that, <clears throat> that he claims headship over. Secondly, though, <clears throat> I love the church because it's the pillar and ground of the truth. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15 with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And in in Timothy, Paul is given counsel to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says to him, he says, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of the truth. By the way, we're not going to look at that today, but there's a way you're supposed to behave yourself in the house of God. There's a way that you're supposed to handle yourself in the house of God. Right? But he says this about the church. He says the church uh, uh, of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, if you ask me where truth is, I'm going to say to you, truth's in the Bible. That's where you find your truth. That's where you find what you're supposed to do. That's where you find how you're supposed to live. That's, the, that's the, the, the manual for the church. That's where we find out what it is that we're supposed to be as a church, who God is, how we're supposed to live as a people. We find that in the Bible. The truth is found in the Word. But do you understand that he makes the church the pillar and ground of the truth? That apart from the church, truth tends to drift. Apart from the church, what happens is we, we end up not being able to hold on to, not being able to sustain truth. You see, there's a dynamic involved in the truth that what you've got is you've got the people of God and you've got the Spirit of God and you've got the Word of God and you get something very powerful in that context. So that when we look uh, at the church, 
The church is a guardian of truth. Now, I don't mean the denominational church as such. I mean the church, the church of born-again believers, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. His church is actually a guardian of the truth. Not that the church, you know, decides what is truth, because the church doesn't. The Bible teaches what is truth. But the church is supposed to be guided by the truth of the Word of God, and it's supposed to uphold it, and it's supposed to, uh, you know, proclaim the truth and keep the truth. And if you think about this, here's a question I've been asking myself. Can you hold on to truth apart from the church? When you say, well, yes, we got the Bible. You know, I'm not sure that you can, though. You know, I think that you need the church to hold on to the truth. I think that when you remove the church and the teaching of the church uh, from uh, its place as far as Scripture is concerned, what happens is you end up drifting as far as truth. And we're going to look at it um, later on. Is it possible for you to be a Christian and not be involved in church? Well, yes and no. You and I need the church. We need the church. We need the pillar and ground of the truth. We need to come here and have the truth pair the rough ages off us. We need to come here and have the truth declared. We need the church. And I love the church because it's the pillar and ground of the church. When you think of a world that's adrift in philosophies that, you know, just don't bear any substance, you know, and you come back to the church, the church has a position to hold on to and to, uh, to, to, to sustain the truth. You know, when, you, when you think of evolution, I mean, it's, it's when, you go, when you go outside the church and when you look at the world from the world's perspective, evolution becomes the truth. It's, it's very obvious. You'll talk to intelligent people. You'll talk to people who, who really, uh, as far as the world is concerned, are in the know, people who have the letters after their names, and they will tell you, you know, that the world happened by evolution. And yet, everything in us, as we look at it, screams against it because there's obviously an intelligent designer behind something as clever and as intelligent as the world is. But it's accepted as truth out there. But you know what? The church has the job of being the pillar and ground of truth, of holding on to the truth and saying, no, 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 what God says is true. The world has all kinds of ideas about who God is today. All kinds of different ideas. But you know what? You come back to the Word of God and the Word of God says, no, this is who God is. And from cover to cover, it's telling us who God is. And it's very clear and very dogmatic and very powerful. And the church is given the job then of upholding that truth. You know, listen, that's no light responsibility for the church to take on. But that's what we have as a church. We're supposed to uphold the truth. And I thank God for a church that upholds the truth. That is indeed a pillar and ground of the truth. I also love the church because it's the place where we get nourished. In Ephesians 5.29, it says, For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Do you know the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church? Do you ever see a mother looking after a baby? You know, and a mother will watch for the needs of the baby. And you can, you can, you can see the mother's heart instantly going out when the baby has a need. And the mother carefully watches over her baby and nourishes and cherishes her baby so that her baby can grow up strong and healthy and so that her baby can be all that the baby was intended to be. Do you know that God nourishes the church? The Lord Jesus Christ nourishes the church. And he brings you here so that you can be nourished, so that you can be cared for. 
There's something special about the dynamic, about the reality of the church and the truth. That Listen, he, he wants to nourish us, but he nourishes us as part of the church, part of what he's doing. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to, flee, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. A couple of thoughts there. This is uh, Paul speaking. Sorry, this is the Holy Ghost speaking. And he's saying that he has made pastors overseers over the flock for the purpose of feeding the church, of taking care. God thought it through. God knew that we needed the feeding of the word of God. And God said, we need it. Look, listen, we can, we can say, you know, I can worship God anywhere. And people say that all the time. I can, I can worship God in the mountains. And listen, I hope you do worship God in the mountains. And I hope you do worship God everywhere because you're supposed to. But you know what? That's not the same thing as the church. The church is a key issue as far as God is concerned. The spirit of God uh, is involved in it. The spirit of God has a, has a plan, has a work, has a passion for what he wants to do in the church. <clears throat> Isaiah 1, verse 2 and 3 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. But you know, the animals in the field know where they're supposed to get fed. Found I yesterday we were up, we were going up the hill and looking at the lambs uh, just close to our house. And as soon as we got near, uh, near to the entrance of the field, everybody came rushing over. They thought, here comes the farmer uh, with food. But then when they saw us, they realized we weren't, and they turned and they walked away again. Literally, they did that. They turned and they walked away. Do you know that God has ordained a place for us to be fed? Now, that doesn't take from your devotional time. That doesn't take from the time that you spend with the Lord. That doesn't take from the fact that, you know, you need to be active in ministry apart from the church. That doesn't, you know, uh, in any way impinge upon any of that. But you know what? God has declared a place for you to be fed. God has declared a place where he wants you to come so that you can be fed, so that you can be nourished in the words, so that you can be nourished in his way. I also love the church, though, because of her power to change lives. You know, our lives are changed dramatically since 1986. And, you know, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that's what, what changes, and the truth changed us, but it was in the context of a church. Do you understand that, that a church actually is the means God uses to work in our lives. And when we get involved in the church, it's like we see that fast track. It's like we see God do great things in our lives when we get involved in the church. When we don't get involved, you know what? We don't see those things happen. You know, we've got people who are going to get baptized today. Three three that are coming for baptism today. And what they're going to do is they're going to get baptized, which is being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, but then they're going to join the church as well. And tonight we'll, we'll, we'll vote them into membership in the church. Right? <clears throat> tonight they'll become members of the church. They'll become part of the church. Right? But what they're doing is they're going to get involved in something that's going to be powerful in their lives. That's going to have a huge impact in their lives. And that's what the church is about. God wants to use the church to be powerful in our lives. You know, <clears throat> as we look at our lives, I mean, we got saved. Val got saved first, and then I got saved, and then... Oriel got saved, and today Oriel is ministering in Ireland. Listen, that's part of what a church does. And then my sister Edel got saved. My sister Edel is ministering in Armenia today. That's part of what a church does. And, and along the line, a lot of people have gotten touched, and, and um, that's part of what a church does. 
The church has an impact there. I was talking to Mary Daly yesterday, and um, Mary's got an interesting testimony. Mary was saved before somebody from the church called on her door. I think, was it Caroline? Was it you that called on Mary Daly's door that first time? Uh, Caroline and somebody else, and they spoke to her of the Lord, and um, Mary began to attend church. And since Mary got saved, we won't say how many years ago, 23 people in her immediate family have gotten saved. And from that has spun off uh, so many other people's lives that have been touched as well. You know what? <clears throat> but it didn't happen uh, without the context of a church. The church is part of what God is doing. It's part of the powerful impact that he wants to have in our life. And in, a, in an age when we're individuals and we want to do our own thing, it's very easy for us to take and say, you know what, <clears throat> listen, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go my own way and do my own thing. You can go your own way and do your own thing, but you're going to miss out. You see, if Mary had gone her way and done her own thing, those 23 wouldn't have gotten saved, and Kevin, her son, wouldn't have gotten saved, and the Parkers wouldn't have been reached with the gospel, and Leighton wouldn't have been reached with the gospel, and on and on and on. Because there's a ripple effect that goes out from the place where we get saved and become active, become involved in the church. It's an important organization. <clears throat> you know, what about Anthony? Vincent, just on Tuesday calling, I'm not sure it was even Tuesday calling on that day, knocked on the door and witnessed to him and gave him a new birth tract. And you know what? Anthony read it and got saved that night, and God has changed his life. You know, it's in the context of a church. That's what a church does. Uh, what about James and Sinead? They're going to get married now <clears throat> in a little over a month's time. They're uh, all excited about that. But you know what? Both of their lives have been changed and transformed in the context of a church. Church is a powerful thing. Exciting things happen uh, in a church. Renata, the Polish lady, is sitting back there. Just a couple of weeks ago, Renata came to church, and Renata heard the truth and got saved, and her life is changed and she's born again she's going a different direction listen the church is an important organization what we're doing today is we're celebrating and thanking god for 31 years of lightgate bible baptist church there is absolutely no way that we could actually that, that, that we could count the number of lives that have been changed through lightgate bible baptist church because they're not here now if you look around you see listen there's a tremendous amount of people that are here but you know what there's people everywhere whose lives have been touched. There's people whose lives have been touched that we know nothing about and won't know about until heaven. And we're going to meet people whose lives were touched by the church. But you know what? They're touched when we become part of a church and begin to function as the body of Christ as God intended for us to do. That's how lives get touched. <clears throat> we need to understand that, that God wants to do a work in our lives, but he uses a church. Another reason that I love the church is because of her people. You know, listen, don't, don't we live in a day when relationships are very shallow and they get broken very easily and people just move on? They bounce off each other's lives and they move on. But when you come together in a church, what happens is you, you, you get bound together by a group of people. And I suppose I'm privy to a whole lot more of it than, than, than most of you, but it's, it's fascinating to me to see how you fall out with each other uh, and get straightened out and, and move on again. And what you've got is you've got a family. You've got a functioning family, you know, where people are interacting with and uh, getting over problems and dealing with problems. And as you look at people's lives as they've been here, you see God changing their lives and you see them better able to deal with each other in relationships. And you know what? It's a family. 
that God is working on. And I suppose that in our day and age, in 2012, there are a few things that are as necessary for people as identity because we're losing it wholesale. I mean, you can live beside neighbors for five years and not know their names. That's just the way it is nowadays. Everybody's busy. Everybody's fun. But I tell you, well, you start coming to church and you get to know a group of people's names. Now, let me warn you, if you're not part of the church, they're not perfect, right? Uh, nobody here makes a claim to perfection. Jesus is perfect, right? And as far as, as long as we follow Jesus, listen, uh, we're in pretty good shape too. But you know what? Uh, in ourselves, we're not perfect. So when you become part of a church, what you find is you find, uh, listen, a bunch of imperfect people. But you know what? God is at work. And God uses those people in your life. And he uses you in their lives. And it's a family. God's working out something here. God's dealing with something. God's changing us. God's working in our lives. <clears throat> I love the church because of her purpose. I've written down three different purposes for the church, right? <clears throat> and um, you could put them in three corners of a triangle. Uh, first of all, the church is supposed to evangelize. Now, listen, every believer ought to witness. And if you're a believer here today, I hope you're with us. I hope you're actually a witness and that you're taking the word to other people. But you know what? There's a special way that God uses the church to evangelize. You see, if you go to the Great Commission, the Great Commission has you know, three different <clears throat> angles to it. First of all, we're to preach the gospel. Then we're to baptize them. And then we're to teach them all things whatsoever the Lord hath commanded you. And you know what that is? That, that's the church functioning there. We're going to baptize some people today who have already been reached with the gospel. They're going to get baptized today. And uh, as they come to church, they're going to get discipled and trained and taught in the things of God. And you know what I've noticed in people's lives? I've noticed that <clears throat> now when people actually follow through in those three steps and come to the third one and actually give themselves in the church and become part of it and become uh, part, uh, accept the teaching of the church and grow in the teaching of the church, you know what? They get established. You see, God has a plan, and his plan is always a good plan. His plan is always a plan that works. Listen, you know, when you have a, a, a child, a child comes into your home, the child can do nothing for themselves. They're babies. You protect them. You feed them. You nourish them. You know, uh, you, you, know you watch out that the other kids don't, 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 don't harass them and hassle them, and you look after them. And after a while, they grow, and they can do some of those things for themselves. And after another while, they go to school, and they learn, and they grow. And, you know, and then there comes a certain point when they're ready to, Leave the nest. They're ready to go out and set up a family of their own. You know, but, but they've been through it. They've, they've, they've learned and they've grown. And God has a purpose for the family. God has a purpose for the church spiritually. Spiritually, he wants the church to bring us to maturity. He wants us to be part of something that's going to actually bring us to maturity. So the, the church is to reach people with the gospel. But then it's to edify them. It's to build them up. But over all that, the church is supposed to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's supposed to worship him. We've been looking at men's Sunday school at worship. And the church <clears throat> is where God wants, or one of the main places where God wants us to worship him. See, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. You know, before the preaching of the sermon this morning, we worshiped. And Jesus came. You say, well, I didn't see him. Well, did you really expect to see him? But he came. You say, how do you know he came? Because he said he would. And he always does what he said he would. 
We gathered in his name and Jesus came. And you know, when you come to church and you worship, it's different than you worshiping at home. Listen, you're worshiping at home. God will come. But there's a special promise given to you when you come to church and worship. God comes into our midst and he says, listen, I am going to be in your midst as you worship me. Listen, the church is a special place. It's a place that's owned of Jesus Christ. It's a place that's loved of him. It's a place that's nourished and cherished by him. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's a place where his power is displayed in changing lives. The church is a special place. 31 years of Lifegate Bible Baptist Church has had an impact on eternity. It has. It's, it's huge. It's enormous. It has had an impact upon eternity, and it will continue to. You know what? If you're, in a, you're a member of Lifegate Bible Baptist Church, you've got the privilege of being a member here. I get the privilege of being a, the pastor of what God is doing in this place. And if you're here today and you're not saved, listen, God wants to save you and he wants to add you into this church. You're not baptized, he wants to see you baptized and added into this church. God wants to do a work in your life. God is not in the business of, you know, of saving you and letting you just wander around aimless. That will be like a child who has no home and has nowhere to go. God wants to save you and he wants to bring you into the church and he wants you to grow uh, and to continue on for him. Could you be a Christian and not be part of a church? Well, yeah, that's possible. Obviously, you could be a Christian and not be part of a church. Could you be a student and not go to school? Yeah, but you wouldn't be a very effective student, would you? You know what? You're not a very effective Christian when you're not a part of the church. Could you be a salesman and never make a sale? Well, yeah, but you wouldn't be much of a salesman. Could you be a soldier and never join the army? Well, you could wear the uniform. Not sure you'd really be a soldier, though. Could you be a sailor and never go to sea? You know what? You could do all those things, but you'd never be much of anything. And you know what? When it comes to being a Christian... When it comes to you walking with God and following hard after God, God has an organization. God has his organization. I will build my church. God wants you to become involved, and God wants to use this place to help you and to change you and to work in your life. And not just your life, but who knows who else God wants to work in your life through. But what we need to do is we need to recognize Yeah, this is what God wants to do. This is the work. This is the place. We need to be excited about it. We need to be excited about what God is doing in our lives through the church. We need to be excited about what God wants to do through us in the church. We'd encourage other people to come out to church, to come to church. We need to encourage not just to come, but to be involved. And we need to set in our hearts how precious this place is. Not the place but the people, how precious it is and how precious it is to be a part of it. And we need to look to God to continue this church till Jesus comes. Listen, one day all of us will will pass on. None of us are going to live forever. And if Jesus tarries, he wants there to be a church here. And we've got a part to play in making sure that that happens. So let's make this place the place that God wants it to be. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you heard of I got saved. You know I got saved? It was this simple. I got saved the day I realized I was a sinner 
on my way to hell. Wasn't as good as I thought I was. And that Jesus had died to pay the price for my sins. And I cried out to him and he saved me. He did it. Listen, he changed me. Everything's been different since. Nothing's ever going to be the same again. Listen, that's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to change in your life. He wants to change you and do a work through you. And you know, all that I've seen happen in my life since then is simply because there's a mighty God at work. And one of the things he's used profoundly in my life is Lifegate Bible Baptist Church. And he'd like to use it in yours too. That's my offer prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for these people that have come. And Lord, I do ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to value what it is that you're doing in the church. Help us to love the church the way you do. Help us to, uh, Lord, want to be here, to encourage others to be here. Help us, Lord, to yield ourselves to you and to let you have your way in our lives and our hearts. Lord, that we might be the Christians that you want us to be. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And God is dealing in hearts and lives. Let me just ask you. God is dealing with you this morning and saying, listen, he's talking to you. You need to be a part of the church. You need to become involved in the church. You need to make this your place. Now, you you have an opportunity today. You can say no. Or you can turn to God and you can say yes. And you know, you may not be able to actually do it, but when you say yes to God, God begins to work in your heart and life to enable you to do it. But God is speaking to you today. God is telling you, listen, this is what you need. You need to become a part of this church. And you'd say, yes, that's me. I need to become a pastor, this part of this church. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? Amen. Amen. See those hands. Are there others? Let me ask you one other question. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You might be here to see somebody baptized. You might be here just because it's um, our anniversary. You, you might be here just as a visitor. But you're here this morning and you're not saved. You're not born again. And you couldn't with any certainty say that when you die, you know you're going to heaven. Oh, you'd like to. Because everybody would like to. But do you understand that the Bible says that except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God? That God wants to save you, that God wants you to be born again, but he wants you to yield yourself to him. You're here this morning and you know you're not born again and you recognize that you need to. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Is there anybody at all? God is dealing with you. God is drawing you to himself. Don't, don't say no to him. But God is dealing with you. Would you just lift your hand quietly and put it down again? The easiest, most simple thing in the world is to trust Christ as Savior. But you know what? He steps into your life. And the one thing in life I've never been sorry for is the fact that I trusted him. He changes things. Always for the better. But you're here this morning and you know you need to be saved. You know that you're not born again. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you?